0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening.
1: Please be seated. We will now have the scripture reading for today. And Today's passage is taken from Luke chapter 20 verses 1 to 26. Uh, I will invite Sister Genevieve to come up and read the passage for us. In the meantime, this will be a good time to grab your hard-copy Bibles and follow along. Uh, If you don't have a hard-copy Bible, that's also fine. We will display the slides on the screen.
2: Okay, good morning, Church. Um, Let's hear the Word of God. Luke chapter 20, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us, by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say, of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love, perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid! Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then, what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them but they were afraid of the people keeping a close watch on him they sent spies who pretended to be sincere they hoped to catch jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor so the spies questioned him teacher we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said, there in public and astonished by his answer they became silent this is the word of god
0: okay great to see everybody this morning let's go to god in prayer Dear father we really want to give thanks that we can be here this morning to hear your word again to hear you speaking to us and we just pray that we will take to heart the really important lesson of coming under your authority and uh, being willing to accept the authority in all of our lives We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So anyway, you probably heard me say that uh, I went to study in boarding school in Australia, but I never showed you the picture of where I stayed. And so this is uh, where I stayed when I was in boarding school in Australia, but obviously this is a very old picture because, you know, people don't have horses anymore, right? So you can see my boarding school was there in the 1800s. And when I lived there, it was exactly the same, right? Nothing has changed at all. Now, when I lived there, there were about 100 to 150 students from about 10 to 16 years old. So like, imagine from secondary one to JC two or poly. And we were living four to a room. And I realized when I got there very, very, very quickly that there's a very strict authority structure in boarding school. I still remember. It's burned into my mind, right? We had a boarding house master. His name was Mr. John Brown. We had four masters. For each of the floors, Mr. Robertson, Mr. Van Housen, and under them, the form teachers. And then under them would be the senior students. And then under them would be people like me. Lah. Okay? And you have to obey all these authorities, you know. right? All these authorities on top of you, boarding house master, form master, uh, junior teachers, and senior students, you need to listen to them. I remember how it was very strict. Lights out by 10 p.m., you need to be at the dining table in the mornings for breakfast at 7:30 a.m. If your bed made, you're gonna go out on the weekend. You've got to sign up on Friday. you got to come back and sign in again by 8 p.m. Now, I remember one incident where I had some friends of mine in boarding school, and they decided to oh, this is where we studied, still the same. Okay, so I remember some friends of mine decided to bring back some grog. So grog is the Australian slang for alcohol back to boarding school one night to have a, a party, right? a private party. As it goes with all these things, you can never keep a secret, right? Uh, so the boarding house master, Mr. John Brown, found out about it and uh, you know, questioned everybody and found out all the different people involved. And the punishment was that uh, all the people who brought Grog back to college, boarding school and uh, drank it, would be suspended for two to three weeks. And one of my best friends was actually the senior school prefect at the time, and he also had some grog. And so he was suspended for two weeks. And um, as a result, I think he was very upset and very affected by it. And uh, he he, uh, skipped school for one year and came back the next year, and he still became the best student for the year the next year. But that's the way you have to live, right, when you live under authority. You have to respect the authority structure. You've got to obey the rules, you've got to keep the obligations that you have under the authority. So, what about yourself? How do you respond to living under authority? What is your relationship to authority structure? Are you comfortable living under authority structure? Because today's passage is all about authority, right? So one day, Jesus was teaching the people in temple courts and proclaiming the good news, and the chief priests and teachers of law together, the elders came up to him, tell us by what authority you're doing these things, they said, who gave you this authority? And we don't know the tone, because obviously we can't hear the conversation, of how the religious leaders actually asked Jesus, by what authority you're doing these things, and who gave you this authority? But we definitely know that from context, they were asking out of indignation, Opposition, unhappiness, and resentment, right? Because last week we saw that Jesus had come he cleansed their temple, and every day he was coming and teaching in their temple. So last week we saw that they were so, so unhappy with Jesus and his authority that they wanted to kill him. In fact, in the other translation, in the ESV translation, they wanted to destroy him. So what did Jesus reply then? He said to them, I will also ask you a question. Tell me. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Now, John, if you remember all the way back in Luke chapter 3, had actually been sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. He was to prepare the way for the Messiah or the Christ. The people were waiting for the Messiah, but look at what John answered in verse 16. John answered them all, I baptize you of water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. So John the Baptist was actually sent by God to make straight the paths so or to prepare the way for Jesus the Christ. What Jesus was basically doing was, he was pointing them back to John the Baptist as the preparer and the forerunner for him. Because if they would understand that John the Baptist came from God the Father in heaven, it would answer that question, right? By what authority are you doing these things? It's because I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah who is to come. Who gave you this authority? This authority was given by God the Father. Now, how then did the religious authorities respond to Jesus' answer to their question? They discussed it among themselves, and if, they, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Now you can see from this discussion that they are not really sincere in wanting to know the authority of Jesus, right? I remember uh, hearing this comment by this uh, very famous preacher called John Piper. And what he said was, you know, people can use their minds for good things, and for bad things, right? If you use your mind for a good reason, like for the religious leaders, if they use their minds for a good reason, they would honestly and sincerely want to consider the truth about whether Jesus was the Christ, whether his authority was from Christ. And they would sincerely and honestly respect what their minds found out and let the chips fall as they may. And if Jesus was the Christ, they would respect and come under the authority of Jesus. But instead, they use their mind in a bad way, right? In a wicked way. Where instead of using their mind to find out the truth, they try to use their mind to evade and to escape and to avoid the authority of Jesus and to avoid answering the question, is Jesus the Christ? Because they really say in verse 6, right? All the people were stolen us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Now, if all the people are persuaded that John was a prophet, then therefore Jesus must be the Christ and he must have authority. But the religious leaders, instead of using their mind in a good and honest and sincere way and asking, is John really the prophet? And is Jesus really the Christ? They say we don't know. They say they don't know, not because intellectually they don't know, but because they don't want to come under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know whether some of you are like that. Do you use your mind in a good way, in an honest way, in a sincere way to find out about who Jesus is and let the chips fall as they fall? Or do you use your mind in a bad way, in a wicked way, where you use your mind to try to escape and evade the authority of Jesus? Because you don't really want to find out if Jesus is the Christ. The passage then moves on. And Jesus tells a parable. It's a really simple parable. A man owns a vineyard. He cultivates the land. He goes away for some time. He leases the land to some tenants. At harvest time, he, he gets the servants to go back to the land with the expectation of collecting rent from the tenants. You know, usually there's produce and the, the, the tenants will give part of their produce as part of the rent. No different today, right? You know, if you you have a flat and you're leasing it out, of course you collect rent, nobody, nobody lets you stay for free, right? So there's some completely expected and ordinary. But what is really, really unexpected is what happens in the parable. In verse 10, right, the second part of verse 10, but the tenants beat the servant and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another ten, uh, servant, but that one they also beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him, and they threw him out. Now this is really, really shocking. It's shocking for the ancient listener, and it's shocking for us, right? Imagine you have a flat, and you're renting it out, and you send your real estate agent there to collect the rent, and then they get beaten up by your tenant, right? That's really weird, right? That's really shocking. How will you react if you were the landlord? How will you react if you were the owner? Well, in verse 13, we see something even more shocking. Because the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. Now this is really, really remarkable, right? Really remarkable. The patience and the, uh, I guess, the long-suffering of the owner. He's willing to put up with his servants being beaten up and treated shamefully and abused. And even now, he's thinking of sending his son to go to speak to the tenants. Now, verse 13 is a verse which is like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, it's like, this is like the jigsaw which kind of like unlocks the whole jigsaw puzzle. right? Because in verse 13, there's this phrase, I will send my son whom I love. Now, if we're careful readers of the book of Luke, we have heard this phrase before, my son whom I love. If you remember when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, as Jesus was being baptized and he came out of the water, verse 22, a voice from heaven came down and said, you are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. If we were careful readers, we also remember at the transfiguration, when Jesus went up to the top of the mountain and he revealed himself as divine, as God, again in verse 35, a a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. And so in a sense, verse 13 unlocks. It's like the jigsaw piece which helps you put together the whole jigsaw, right? Because the son is no other than Jesus, right? Jesus is the son. Jesus is the son, my son whom I love." And so if Jesus is the Son, then the owner of the vineyard must be God the Father, right? God the Father sends the Son. The vineyard is actually the land and the blessings and the promises that God gives to His people. And so the tenants actually are the Jews, including the religious leaders. And so what we see here in the parable it's that God is a God who's given His land and blessings and promises to the Jews, including religious leaders, but over time, he keeps sending servants over and over again through history, to call them to give respect to Him, to give him honor, to give him obedience, but they keep rejecting the servants and abusing them, until finally, he decides to send his son, perhaps. Perhaps now the Jews, the tenants, the religious leaders will respect the son. Now, this is amazing and remarkable, right? Because this is not the way it works in real life. People are not so patient when it comes to your debts and paying uh, you know what you owe. So before I became a pastor, for a few years, I was actually a liquidator and a receiver. and so as a liquidator and receiver, I'm the last person you actually want to see at your doorstep. So a liquidator is where, uh, let's say you, you owe me money, OK, above a certain amount. If you don't pay me back, I can apply to the court, and the court will appoint a liquidator. And liquidator then comes and collects money from you on behalf of the state. If you're a receiver, you owe money to the bank, you don't pay the bank back in time. After a while, they send you letters. You ignore the letters. The, le- the receiver, will, uh, sorry, the, the bank will then appoint an accounting firm as a receiver. And again, we come to your doorstep, and we knock on your door politely. You open the door. We come in. We change all your locks. We kick you out of your building. We seize all your assets. We interview all your employees. We decide which ones we want to keep. Then we let go of the ones we don't want. And then uh, we go through all your accounting records. And basically, that's all. We, we do. You just say goodbye to you after that, right? This is the real world of uh, debts and, uh, and uh, you know owing money to banks and people like uh, landlords and debtors, right? I remember once we were liquidating an employment agency. And uh, one of the creditors or debtors actually sent uh, like a debt collection agency to serve a legal notice to the owner. Not like Along, right? We don't put up pay money, owe money things, but we send you legal letters. And so in order to serve legal letters, the debt collector has to physically hand you over the letter to make sure that you have received this notice. Anyway, the owner opened the door, the guy gave him the letter. You know what the owner did? He punched him in the face, right? Now. What did, the, what did the debtor do? Sorry, what did the creditor do? Do you think he he said, oh, it's okay. We'll send you another one. No, he didn't, right? Basically, they threw the kitchen sink at this guy, right? They came down on him like a ton of bricks. They charged him in court. We seized his assets. You can't just go and punch people who are coming around to collect debts from you, right? That's not the way it works in real life. And so what we see here in the parable, it's amazing, right, that God the Father is so, so patient with the tenants. He just keeps sending servant after servant and finally he sends his son. Perhaps they will respect the son. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over and said, this is the heir, they said. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Now, This is really amazing because I want you to put yourself back in that crowd, in the original context, when Jesus says this, Jesus is not dead yet, right? He is still alive, telling the parable to the religious leaders and the crowd. And he is saying that he is the Christ, he is the son of God, come to the people, and he is going to be killed. He is is the one who is actually going to be killed by the tenants. Now, we already knew from last week that the religious leaders, the chief priests, teachers of the law wanted to kill Jesus and destroy him. And Jesus actually says, they will succeed in killing me and destroying me. Now, that's really amazing. Like, he's pronouncing his own death sentence before he's actually dead. Now, This is actually a logical flow of what we've seen in the last few weeks, right? Last week, we already saw how the Jews and self-religious authorities rejected God's authority in the temple. Rejected, we see now John the Baptist, his prophet. And finally, they reject Jesus, the son. But it's not just the context of this, this immediate uh, time of Jesus in Jerusalem that actually shows the rejection of God's power and authority. But in the whole history of God's people, they are continually, over and over, generation after generation, rejecting God's power and authority. Now I want us to think for a moment, okay? Because the religious leaders did not reject Jesus because of a mind problem, intellectual problem. They already knew he had spoken this parable against them. But instead of taking it to heart, the problem was they just don't like authority full stop. They don't like any authority over them, whether it's God or whether it's Jesus or whether it's a prophet. They just don't like authority over them. Now that's going to be a problem, right? I remember reading this book recently called Biblical Theology in the Life of a Church. I'll recommend it to you if you ever get a chance to read it. Now, biblical theology is about how God works progressively in history. Alright? The way that God works in terms of his relationship with his people is through this thing called covenants. Right? The relationship is defined and created and sustained through covenants. Now covenants can often be mistaken as contracts in the modern world. As modern people, we sign contracts, right? But contracts are made between equals. You know, we sign contracts as equals. Employment contracts, borrowing contracts, legal contracts, insurance contracts. We kind of like sign it as equals. Not so covenants. See, in the ancient world, covenants, right, were things that were made between ruling kings and subjects. Uh, vessel states okay, or conquered people. So in the major covenants that God makes with his people, the covenants through Abraham, covenant through Moses, covenant through David, when you look at them, all of them are actually within a power relationship, power authority relationship. It's not between equals, but between a ruling king and his people, right? his vessels, his subjects. But the problem that we see over and over again through the history of Israel and his people is that they want to break the covenant with God. They want to break this covenant with God in a sense they want to reject the authority of God and seize power and authority for themselves. That's what the parable is all about, right? The tenants don't want to respect the authority of the landlord they want to seize the land from themselves they want to seize power and authority for themselves so what is God going to do what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others when the people heard this they said God forbid Jesus looked directly at them and asked then what is the meaning of that which is written the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone who fall on whom it falls will be crushed. Okay, so what we see in verse 16 is God's patience has come to an end, right? No more prophets, no more second chances, that's it. He takes away the land, takes away the promises and the blessings that he's given them, and now they're out. They're out from the vineyard in a sense, right? He's out from the relationship that he has with them. And he gives the vineyard to others. But verse 17 is even more amazing, right? Because Jesus, remember, I want you to think of the original context. Jesus is alive. He says he's going to be killed and destroyed. But the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now the cornerstone of a building is like the most fundamental, strongest stone in the structure. I suppose there's a cornerstone in this building here somewhere, which is like the strongest, most solid stone which is like, for whom the building support depends on. Right? All the walls at the corner are supported by this cornerstone. So Jesus, as he is still alive speaking now, is saying, I'm going to die and be destroyed by these religious leaders and the Jews, the tenants, but I'm going to come back to life and be the cornerstone of this new building that God is going to make. Now that's amazing because what he's saying is he's going to be dead, he's going to be the cornerstone, but at the same time, those who destroyed him will actually, in turn, be destroyed by him. So for some, he'll be the cornerstone, but for others, he'll be the stumbling stone and the crushing stone. Now, obviously as we look at this passage, we are not the Jews, right? We are not the original tenants. We are not the original ones who receive the vineyard. Who are we then in relation to this passage? Uh, we are the others, right? Okay? We are the others. We are the others to whom the vineyard has been given to because the, the Jews or the original tenants have rejected God's authority. But in the same way, the lessons apply to us, right? Because we, if we reject the authority of Jesus and reject the authority of God, Jesus will no longer be our cornerstone as well, but he'll be our crushing stone. We will stumble on Jesus and be destroyed in turn. So again, authority, right? How do we respond to the authority of Jesus. How do we respond to the authority of God? Failure to do so means that Jesus is not our cornerstone, but actually destroys us instead. Now the passage then goes on to the last unit, right? Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, here they don't try to destroy Jesus directly, but indirectly, by sending these sneaky spies, right? And these sneaky spies flatter Jesus. Oh, we know, we know you all speak the truth. You don't care what people say, right? You just just say it like Jesus. Just say what God wants you to say. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, whether Jesus answers yes or no, Jesus in a sense is condemning himself, right? It's a lose-lose answer, yes or no. Yes, pay taxes to Caesar, and then the crowd turn against Jesus because here Jesus is a traitor, right? He's a stooge and, a, and a, like a turncoat, a running dog of the Romans. No. Don't pay taxes to Caesar. Well, then the Romans would think that he's a terrorist. He's a rebel. And then the Romans would then seek to destroy Jesus. So what does Jesus say then in response to this trap? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. Now, you know that today, you can own a denarius that Jesus was talking about that day right if you had nine thousand pounds you can own this denarius exactly what Jesus is talking about okay now you can see that the the minting quality not as good as the Singapore coins It's a bit irregular right not very round everything but on this coin are these inscriptions in Latin okay I can't read Latin very well I I don't know sounds funny right T Caesar, D-V, A-V-G-F-A-V-T-E-Z. Which means, literally, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And this is what he looks like, Okay. So Jesus is literally saying, show me your coin. Show me a denarius. Whose image is on it? What is the inscription that's on it, right? Well, the, the image is of Tiberius Caesar Augustus, The inscription says that it belongs to Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. So Jesus says, Caesar's, right? If they they reply, look, the image of Caesar's inscription is of Caesar's. Then he says, give back to Caesar, what is Caesar's? Give back to Caesar, what is Caesar's? Now, Jesus goes on to build on this principle, right? He could have easily ended there and just walked off and okay, I survived the trap but he says something very, very deep and profound, right? Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And what does he mean here, give to God what is God's? He could have speaking, be speaking in a very generic way about how all of creation belongs to God because obviously all the world and the universe and all of creation, including ourselves, was made by God. So give back to God what is God's. But I think that Jesus actually Deeper and profound, more profound than that. He's looking back to Genesis chapter 1, right? Genesis chapter 1 in the creation of the world, in the creation account. And it says in verse 26, And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So exactly what is Jesus saying here? What he's saying is, on the coin, the denarius bears the image of Caesar. But on us, male and female, we bear the image of God. So give to, back to Caesar what is Caesar's, which is the denarius. Give to God what is God's, which is in a sense ourselves, right? Because we bear the image of God. Now this is really important because it means that God owns us, right? God has imprinted His image upon us. And our relationship with Him is of one where He owns us and He has authority over us. So in our relationship with God, it's not enough just for us to come to church on a Sunday morning or to maybe, you know, uh, give some money or something, but all of our lives, in a sense, is to be given back to God. Now, I told you how I grew up in boarding school, with about 100 to 150 students, right? One important lesson that I learned very, very quickly in boarding school was that you need to put your name on every single item that you own. Because if you don't put your name on that item, It will soon not be yours. Very, very quickly. So, I had a CD player. I write my name, permanent marker. I have a soccer ball. Put my name everywhere on it. Even your instant noodles, you have to put your name on it because if not, quickly disappear. You put the eggs in the fridge. You also put permanent marker. Actually, somebody said to me at morning tea hey, you put permanent marker on the egg, does does it leach into the egg and make it? unhealthy. I I also don't know. Just eat it quickly, right? But the reality is, when you put your name on something, it displays ownership, right? It's yours. This is yours, right? Your CD player, your soccer ball, your instant noodle, the egg. Because God, in a sense, has put His image on us, He's put His stamp on us, right? We belong to God. God owns us. And so, as we live in this world, we also need to, to recognize our relationship with Him is one of authority and power, right? We, we live under authority of Him. It's not that we live as free agents. Okay. What we've seen here in the passages, we need to give authority to God and Jesus, because Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is the Son of God, and God has made us. Right? And we give this. Oble- uh, loyalty and obedience and, and, and service to God, not because, you know, we, we have this terrible, like, dictator, authoritarian ruler over us. But as we've seen, he's, he's, he's patient, he's loving, he's gracious towards us. He is a wonderful God to have an authority over us, right? So the lesson we also learn is, I want us to reflect just for a moment. When Jesus said all these things, He had not yet gone to the cross, right? He had not yet died. But yet He predicted all these things that would happen. He would be killed, He would be destroyed. But yet He would rise again and ascend. He would be this cornerstone. And so if that is true, then what He says is also true about how for those of us who cannot, will not, or are unwilling to give authority to Jesus. Right? He is not our cornerstone, but instead, our cornerstone becomes our stumbling stone, crushing stone. So it's really, really dangerous to not really have respect or loyalty or obedience to Jesus. Right? Because if we don't give him that, that respect as the authority figure in our lives, then actually He's no longer a cornerstone, but instead we are destroyed by Him. So I hope that for all of us here as we reflect on today's passage, all the more uh, we are people who are willing to live under the authority of God and of Jesus. Let's go to God and pray, Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for you are a God who is good, who is patient, and is gracious. You're a God who is the giver of all good things. You're the God who makes covenants with your people. You're a God who continues to show patience even in the rebellion of your people. Dear Father, we thank you for we are those who are others, who've received your promises and blessings. Help us to learn the lessons of today's passage. That we need to continue to give you respect and obedience and service and loyalty because truly you we are under authority under you and jesus we pray that you may help us to to give up all rebellion that seeks to evade or escape that authority in aspects of our lives but instead to give you authority in everything Dear father you said to give to god what is god's and we recognize that all of us wholly, completely 100 percent need to give of ourselves to you. We pray for all these things and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Okay, thank you, Pastor Andrew. We will now have a time of reflection and discussion. Uh, this is normally a time where we think about what has been said during the sermon and um, just have a chat with each other about what we think. Um, there are two questions. First, why should God and Jesus have authority over me? And second, do I struggle to be under their authority how and why. So we will have, (coughs) sorry, we will have about five minutes to just talk about these questions. Um, If after the five minutes you realise you still have a lot to talk about, don't worry, you can still carry on during lunch. So yeah, you can discuss.
2: Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg